All right, let's take our Bibles, if you would. I'd like you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're doing really good on time. I'm trying to stay right within the, the, the framework of about an hour or so, so we're doing really good on time. But turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For those of you joining us for the very first time, uh, we, we're in a series on Wednesday nights through the book of 1 Corinthians. And our theme for 1 Corinthians kind of dovetails with our church theme. It's entitled, God Glorified. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, that God should get the glory in all things. And so we want God glorified. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to begin reading at verse 17, and we'll go down to verse 24, even though we'll probably finish the chapter tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 to 24, and it's okay while you're watching by live stream, it's okay for you to send an amen along the way there, or say amen while you're here preaching, amen? Verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Father, bless your word, we pray tonight. Do a great work in our hearts. Help us to be fed in our souls. We pray, God, tonight, if there's anyone unsaved watching this message, I pray for their salvation. I pray for Christians tonight who are discouraged and beaten down, that, Lord, when this message is over, they are encouraged. I pray, God, tonight, even as people sit, perhaps in the convenience, in their living room or the kitchen table or dining room table watching, God, I pray for a spirit of revival. Thank you for what you'll do in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we're on a theme from the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, we've been in chapter 1, and I think this is about our fourth or fifth message from 1 Corinthians. We started out by going to Acts chapter 18 and looking at the formation or the orig origination of the church at Corinth, how Paul went there as he was down there in the area of, uh, after he left Macedonia and started that church, and God blessed and having him stay there for 18 strong months and preaching the gospel and building up disciples and training leaders. From there, about two weeks ago or three weeks ago, we're at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we looked at the first nine verses. And our key text from there was found right in the middle there from verse 5. And the title of the message was Enriched in Him. And how Paul started off by telling the Corinthian believers how they were blessed of God and enriched in spiritual gifts and the things of God. And that's, that's something sometimes we need to be reminded of. And then we saw the last time we were in this passage of Scripture, verses 10 to 17, we saw the reason why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. In the first six chapters, first six or seven chapters, Paul is addressing a number of issues 
problems and uh, and uh, that that he was that the church was facing. And quite honestly, the church leadership was beside themselves. They really didn't know what to do. And since Paul was the founding pastor of that church, they sent some members to the church. The household of Chloe went there to him and disclosed to him all the things that were going on. They were not ashamed of having their name associated with telling him those problems. And as we get through these first six chapters, we realize they were very thick problems. They were very difficult problems. But those problems happened to lay a foundation for every local church and how to resolve and work through problems like this church went through. And the biggest problem they dealt with is the problem that every church goes through. That's the problem of strife, factions, and divisions. And the title of that message we saw came out of one of the verses there, verse 13, is Christ divided. And we saw where division was an issue there. Now notice if you would as we transition from from verse 13, we see a few things as part of our beginning tonight. We find that the emphasis in verses 17 to 31 is on the word preaching. We're going to realize that preaching is an essential element an essential topic that Paul talks about. And we're going to see several messages over the course of this series that will dwell on preaching. We'll see some things about that in chapter 9 and again in chapter 15 where Paul mentions about the preaching of the gospel. But you have to remember as we think about that tonight that Paul is addressing in the first three or four chapters the problem of divisions, factions, and strife. And uh, you'll notice in, um, let me see here, you'll notice here in... Um, Verse uh, 16, verse 17, Paul makes mention of the doctrine of baptism. Now the divisions of strife that were occurring there were predominantly personality driven. And I mentioned this last time that these personality driven divisions were also associated with preferences. And uh, one of the things that were mentioned there was the matter of baptism. That somehow baptism became a divisive issue there, where some were, as they were taking, were, were choosing preferences in terms of who they, they preferred as the leaders in the church. There were, there were different camps, as I mentioned, different factions and camps in the church. And I said this last time that there was the camp of Paul. Some said this, if you'll notice this, they said, uh, on verse 12, you know, this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul. And there was the camp of Paul, and I call that the camp of those who held to what I would call the hyper-grace fundamentalist preference, where Paul emphasized that we were saved by grace and trying to get, and he has he dealt with the legalists of those times, those who were bound to the law, the Jewish law, and uh, there were those who kind of took a direction towards hyper-grace, and they had a preference for Paul. Paul did not advocate hyper-grace, but there were those who kind, of, who kind of did in those circles there. There was the camp of Apollos. Apollos was an intellectual of his time. Apollos was from the area of Alexandria, Egypt, where there were many educated people, and that was an intellectual center of the world, and he kind of appealed to the camp of the hyper-intellectual fundamentalists. There was the camp of Cephas or Peter. And of course, Peter, we, we study him, especially over there in Galatians, that he was uh, kind of kind of sided a little bit with the, with the legalists. And there were those who I would call the hyper-separatist fundamentalists who kind of sided with Peter. And then there were those who said, well, I'm of Christ. You look at verse 12 and 13. They said, some said, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and of Cephas and of Christ. And those of Christ, I would classify them as the hyper-spiritual fundamentalists. That they felt that they were above everybody else, that they were, gonna, they were not following Paul and they were not following Cephas and they were not following Apollos. They were following Jesus and they were really hyper-spiritual in their way. And all that was saying to us is that when we follow a personality, we wind up giving preferences to areas that perhaps are not really biblical 
people. They're more, they're more carnal and they're more superficial than they are spiritual. And sometimes we look at the, we give preference to appeal. And some of us are like that. We, uh, we have an appeal to someone based upon a style or upon a standard of separation or from a particular part of the country or a partic- particular position they have. Uh, some may have a preference to, uh, to attention. Uh, they're interested in giving attention. They're interested in following someone who gives them attention, who gives them consent. Uh, there are some who give preference to articulation. They like a certain kind of preacher and a certain kind of speaker there. And, uh, that, and that can happen with a lot of us that we like a certain type of preaching style and, and we have like a different type of tone or voice and so forth there. And then there are some who have a preference for ardency. They like, there are some of us who, who like those who are red hot and fiery and very type A and, and very into it. And there are others who press like somebody a little bit more calmer and less fervent in spirit. I mean, they're still getting the job done, but press by personality less fervent. And there's a lot of preferential standards that they have there. Well, Paul goes on, he says, well, you know, we have these preferences, but, but you'll notice he says, uh, but he said in verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And one of the reports got Paul got back was that, that, that baptism became a divisive issue. There were those who said, well, Apollos baptized me. And there were those who said, Paul baptized me. And because of that, there were divisions in the church. I remind you this evening that baptism is an ordinance of the, of the Word of God. It's an ordinance where commanded that after you get saved, you're to follow the Lord in baptism. You're to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. I remind you tonight that baptism by immersion, which is biblical baptism, and the only kind of baptism that God honors, biblical baptism is one of the tenets of the Baptist faith. Baptism is an ordinance. Baptism is to be obeyed. Maybe you're watching tonight and you have yet to follow the Lord in scriptural baptism. You have given a clear profession of your faith in Jesus Christ, but you have yet for some reason not followed the Lord in believer's baptism. I want to encourage you that even though we have these restrictions, we're still baptizing believers and we're still baptizing converts. Maybe you're someone perhaps from another church background where the I's and the don't dot up and the T's don't cross up with the doctrine you believe maybe just because of the church you came out of and me we may require you to be scripturally baptized here to to show your submission to the doctrines and and, and uh, of our teachings here and I just remind you today that baptism must be obeyed but I remind you tonight the baptism was never meant to be divisive baptism is a beautiful picture of a believer's faith in Jesus Christ and when they go under the water that they were dead in sins and when they come up out of the water, it represents that we have newness of life in Jesus Christ. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so notice in verse 17, Paul said, For Christ sent me not to baptize. Now he's not belittling baptism. He's not saying that baptism is not important because the Lord Jesus Christ told us in Matthew 28, 19, baptism is important. The by Lord Jesus Christ tells us in Acts 28, 19, He said, go ye and teach all nations. Listen, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Paul's not belittling baptism. But because baptism became divisive, he had to remind them that the real reason why he came. And he had to remind them in their preferentialness of what the priority of God was upon his life and something that they had become divisive about. And he said, for Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel. And these messages I've given on the church at Corinth, I reminded you there that Corinth was a, a very important city there in the island of Greece. 
Two cities were of great importance to the Grecians. One being the city of Athens. Athens was the intellectual center of Greece. Where the wisdom of the poets and the philosophers and people like that were known. Corinth, on the other hand, was known as the Vanity Fair of Greece. It was a place of modern culture. It was a place of culturalism. The metropolitan hub of the island. It was a place where people went for entertainment and worldly living and things of that nature. And both cities were two extremes. But you cannot help but note that there were intellectuals at Corinth and there were worldly people at Athens. And there are those, of course, because of just the overflow of what was going on in Athens that were affected by this intellectualism. Watch where I'm going with this. When Paul said in verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Notice he said, Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made none effect. When Paul was at Corinth, he took an ungodly city, a place that had not known the gospel, a place that was filled with all kinds of sin and debauchery, And he stayed there with tears coming down his eyes and a broken heart as a single lonely church planter. And Paul was there preaching away the gospel of Jesus Christ as he stayed at and he stayed at and he stayed at. God started to bless and souls started to get saved. And people, as we will see from chapter 6, people started getting saved out of terrible lifestyles. When Paul was there, Paul preached. Paul preached God's word. He made sure they understood the primacy of preaching. That preaching is the engine that drives the church. He appointed some leaders and trained some men as preachers. And they were good preachers and good men. But while Paul was at Ephesus, the church started to have some people come inside the church. Or people within the church that started to rise who were not in agreement with Paul's position. And the priority of preaching And you'll notice here as we read verses 17 and 24, I gave you all that background to get right into our message now. There are people there at Corinth, at the church in Corinth, if you can believe this, who are divided over the relevancy of preaching. The intellectuals there who held to Grecian wisdom and the intellectual center of Athens were commenting among themselves, is preaching really relevant? Why not have teaching instead of preaching? Why do we need preaching? Why do we need this loudspeaker preaching to us? There were those like the household of Chloe, Crispus and Gaius, who were loyal to the word of God and loyal to God's man. They said, no, we must have preaching. And I want you to understand that when leadership's not strong, when leadership doesn't take a stand, and leadership gets soft in the word of God. Preaching's affected there. I remind you tonight, if we don't do what's right, and we don't keep on preaching, even while we're going through live stream, or, or we're going to go downhill spiritually, we must keep preaching strong within the local church there. And so you'll notice here, let's go down for a minute. Paul uses phrases in verse 17 that, like, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect, that it has no power. And then he said in verse 18, for the preaching of a cross is to them that perish foolishness. And we look at verse 23, that preaching of Jesus Christ crucified to the Jews is a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. And I want you to understand something. Listen to me tonight if you're watching my live stream. 
Conviction drove that church when Paul was there. Conviction drove that church of the importance of preaching. But as soon as Paul was gone, conviction was replaced by culture. And the cultural relevancy of the day said, we don't need preaching. And you'll notice this, the Grecian culture was calling preaching foolishness. They said it was not relevant, we don't need it, we don't want it, we're not going to hear it. And this got back to Paul, and you'll notice here in chapter 1, the very first thing in order of all the things they were divided about, the first thing he addressed was the division regarding preaching. And so tonight, I want you to notice we have to ask the question, do we need preaching? All right, church is canceled physically. You watching by live stream. And those of you who should be watching by live stream. Do we need preaching? What about preaching? That's what Paul's talking about here. What about preaching? We're going to answer that question tonight. What about preaching? If you have your outline, please click the outline, open it up. I want you to take some notes tonight. Number one, I want you to watch with me and consider with me tonight the priority of preaching. The word preach or preaching is used 145 times in the Bible. Here in 1 Corinthians, it's used a, a total of 14 times in this letter, four times in this section of Scripture, preach or preaching. Now the word predominantly used in my preacher, preacher friends who are here tonight, the word predominantly used, we know that's used to describe preaching, is the word caruso. And the word caruso means the heralding of an official message from a royal authority. The heralding, the proclamation, the giving of, a, of an official message from a royal authority. Caruso means to proclaim and to publish openly. You see, tonight, I th when I think about the word caruso, and I think about the word preach, I'm reminded tonight, my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was a caruser, was a, was a key rock. He was a caruso. He was a preacher of the Word of God. And I remind you tonight that in Isaiah 58, 1, that this was written, given to us many years before, describing preaching, he said, Cry aloud and spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. I want to declare to you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that preaching is a priority. Preaching is a priority. Preaching is a priority because God has chosen preaching. Notice verse 27. One of the things that they declared as foolish was preaching. So Paul addressed that in verse 27. He said, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Why is preaching a priority? Because God has chosen preaching. God has elected preaching. God has put his hand and anointing on preaching. I want you to notice tonight, preaching is the priority of our assembly. Now thank God for church. And how many of you are going to be glad tonight? when we, this, this curve flattens out and we get past this pandemic stuff and whenever that might be, and don't hold your breath, it's going to be very soon, then we can come back and have fellowship without wearing masks, amen? And we can shake hands again, amen? And the choir can stand back here and the orchestra here and our church will be full and we could go door to door and soul winning. I mean, thank God for our fellowship. Thank God for soul winning. Thank God for our singing, congregational singing and special events. Thank God for all those things. But I'm going to tell you tonight, we don't come to church just for the fellowship. And we don't come to church just for the food, though that's good. And we don't come to church just because we've got a business deal to do. And we don't come to church just because the music's great. The music is great. 
We come to church because there's preaching. Because of the preaching of God's word. Listen, when I come to church, I expect to hear preaching. I expect to get preached to. I expect to have my soul fed. I expect to hear the word of God preached there. Preaching is the priority of this assembly. Preaching is the priority of worship. My good friend, Dr. Paul Chapel, has said this for many years. Preaching is the engine that drives the church. We come to church. We're not here for our ideas and exchange of our input. We sit down because preaching is the essence of worship. Preaching lifts up Jesus Christ. Preaching, listen, when we, how do we lift up Jesus Christ and give him the glory? It's through preaching. How do we exalt the deity of God, Christ? Through preaching. How do we know about who the Holy Spirit of God is? Through preaching. How do we know about how to be filled with the Spirit? Through preaching. How do we know about missions? Through preaching. How do we know how to win souls? Through preaching. How do we care about our widows? Through preaching. How do we do church ministry? Through preaching. Listen, preaching is the essence and the importance of worship in this church here. Preaching draws us closer to God. Preaching helps us understand God's word and our obedience to it. Preaching serves us to do something for God. Hey, preaching is the priority of our assembly. Preaching is the priority of our worship. Hey, preaching, preaching is God's call to man. I want to tell you tonight, even though you're watching by live stream, the Holy Spirit is not impaired by live stream. And the Holy Spirit's not going to be hindered by you sitting on a couch or watching from a dining room table or a living room table. Listen, the Holy Spirit of God is the way he speaks to us. He calls to us through preaching. Listen, God calls sinners to be saved through preaching. God calls men and calls you and I to repent of our sins through preaching. God calls men to the mission field through preaching. And listen, God calls men to be preachers through preaching. Listen, preaching is a calling. It's the highest calling of God, praise the Lord. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said this, if God has called you to be a preacher, don't stoop to be a king. It's the highest calling of God. It's the holy calling of God. Paul said about this in Galatians chapter one, God separated him from his mother's womb. And the Bible says God was pleased to separate him from his mother's womb. Isaiah 61 verses one to three, our Lord Jesus Christ said that preaching is a holy calling. He says it's the anointing of God upon a man's life. Listen, it's the highest call to holy, but I'm, I'm thankful tonight it's a happy calling. Amen. First Timothy 1.12, Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus my Lord who has enabled me, having counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. You know what Paul was saying? I'm happy to be a preacher. I want to tell you tonight, while you're watching there, and, and I'm in an almost empty room, I want to tell you tonight, I'm happy to be a preacher tonight. Brother Tom Farrell said this, the preacher cannot be separated from his preaching. Think about men of the Bible who were preachers. Hey, Enoch was a preacher. Noah was a preacher. Moses was a preacher. Nathan was a preacher. Gad was a preacher. Elijah and Elisha were preachers. Micaiah was a preacher, praise God. Ezra was a preacher. Isaiah was a preacher. Jeremiah was a preacher. Ezekiel was a preacher. Hosea was a preacher. Amos was, in fact, Solomon was a preacher. He called himself a preacher there in the book of Ecclesiastes. Michael was a preacher. Jonah was a preacher. Habakkuk was a preacher. Malachi was a preacher. Zechariah was a preacher. John the Baptist was a preacher. Peter was a preacher. Paul was a preacher. John was a preacher. Apollos was a preacher. And bless God, Jesus Christ our Savior was the greatest of all preachers. Samuel Chadwick said this. We're still talking about the priority of preaching. I'd rather preach than do anything else in the world. I'd rather preach than eat my dinner or have a holiday. I'd rather pay to preach than to be paid to preach. And I say amen to that. 
It has to be at the price of agony and sweat and tears. And no calling has such joys and heartbreaks, but is a calling an archangel might even covet. G. Campbell Morgan, which one of the great preachers of the 19th century, said this, the supreme work of the Christian minister is to work a preacher. I'm saying God calls preachers. But I'm going to tell you something else. Preaching pleases God. Preaching pleases God. How many want to please God tonight? Amen? Preaching pleases God. And Paul said, but when he pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Man, I, 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 I meditated on that and God was working my heart. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. You know what he's saying there? God called me to take the gospel to the Gentiles. God called me to preach the gospel to the nations. God is using preaching to reveal his son through me. Can you understand something to all the men watching tonight? Through preaching, God reveals his son Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world through you and I. Hey, what are you doing with your life? Don't sit on the couch being a couch potato. Get out and preach the word of God tonight. Go back to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. Look what Paul said. He came to preach the gospel. In verse 18, he said he preached the cross. In verse 18, he said he preached, he said preaching is the power of God. In Isaiah 61, 1, as I mentioned earlier, God anoints his preachers. I'm just saying tonight, there's the priority of preaching. Number two, would you write this down very quickly? There's a priority of preaching. Would you notice, secondly, the partiality towards preaching? In verses 17 to 31, Paul addresses the factions, the strifes, and division. Notice this over preaching. Now, there are three kinds of people that I find here. There were Corinthian believers who despised preaching. There were Corinthian believers who wanted intellectual preaching. I'm not sure what intellectual preaching is, amen? But they probably, you might say, they wanted intellectual teaching. Then there were those like the household of Chloe and Apollos and Crispus and Gaius who loved, respected preaching. Those first two groups, those who despised preaching and those who wanted intellectual teaching, to be real candid about it, they despised preaching and they called it foolishness. Now, how did this come about? I think there were people there, basically, they got in debates about who their favorite preacher was. Because you look at the names there. There were some that said, well, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of partial towards Apollos, intellectualism. I'm kind of partial towards Paul, hyper-grace, if you would. And that's probably a wrong description for Paul, but they were kind of a, more, more of the grace kind of oriented people. And there were those who said, I prefer Peter. He's kind of a rough style. He was an unlearned and uneducated man. He's kind of a rough style there. But whatever you call it tonight, let me say this. Preaching was called foolishness because God's word was not accepted as authority in life. Let me tell you tonight, you must accept God's word as the authority in your life. If you don't accept God's word as authority in life, you're always going to have trouble with preaching. It was called foolishness because man's wisdom was being elevated over God's word. It was called foolishness because Men's tendency, yours and mine, is to want to have to be tickled, having itching ears, wanting to hear teaching. It was called foolish because as we unravel this, there were some there that were doubting the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And just like every church has to deal with this problem, there were some that doubted the deity of Jesus Christ here, that he was God and man, that he was 100% God. And so they said it's foolishness to preach about Jesus. You know, I don't know about you. I've, I've, been, I've been saved almost 48 years. I've been preaching the word of God for many years. I've been a pastor full-time 50. I'll tell you what, I never get tired of preaching about the cross. I never get tired of preaching salvation. I never get tired of telling some old sinner they need to get saved there. But there were some who got tired of hearing about the cross. It became foolish because Jesus, or was called foolish, because Jesus was being compared to the philosophers of the world. Let me tell you something. As you read this passage of scripture, Jesus is better than any philosopher, amen? It was called foolish because the educated despised God's men and God's message, and they still do today. Hey, let me watch tell you tonight. If you're watching my live stream, and you're somebody who's got some kind of master's degree and doctor's degree, and you've been to XYZ seminary, whatever it may be, and you've got this pseudo-intellectualism about you, you know nothing compared to Jesus Christ, excuse me. Let me tell you something tonight. If you're watching my live stream, you're all in the intellectualism and educationalism. You need to get back to the level of getting on your face before God and knowing the real Jesus, not the book Jesus, knowing the real Jesus. And remind you tonight, they've despised preaching because even, even the Pharisees said this in Acts chapter 4. They looked at Peter and John and said, these were uneducated and unlearned men. These were ignorant and unlearned men, but they saw they'd been with Jesus. Let me tell you tonight, if you're going to be a true preacher of God's word, you've got to be somebody that's been with Jesus if you're going to preach his word. It was called foolish because a sinful heart hates preaching. It was foolish because there were those who were partial to teaching more than to preaching. Now you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. Teaching or preaching. Tickle my ears. Touch my heart. Fire my soul. Or foolishness as far as my mind. Teaching or preaching. Listen to this tonight. Teaching will burden you, but preaching will bother you. Teaching captures you, but preaching corrects the heart. Teaching leaves you concerned, but preaching leaves you convicted. Teaching leaves you comforted, but preaching leaves you corrected. Teaching will dazzle your mind, but preaching will deliver your soul. Teaching will flatter you, but preaching will forbid you. Teaching furnishes facts, but preaching forces a decision. Teaching helps you, but listen to this, but preaching humbles you. Teaching instructs you, but preaching inspires you. Teaching is lofty, and preaching is loud. Teaching is love, but preaching is laughed at. Teaching is peaceful, but preaching is powerful. Teaching is popular, but preaching is profitable. Teaching is promoted, but preaching is proven. Teaching puffs up, but preaching puts it down. Teaching points out the need, but preaching points out the answer. Teaching reaches around the problem, but preaching roots out the problem. Teaching will refresh you, but preaching will reveal you. Teaching can cause you to sleep, but preaching can cause you to shout. Amen. Teaching shows it off, but preaching shuts it down. Teaching tickles the air, but preaching troubles the soul. Listen to this. Teaching leaves you thirsty, but preaching leaves you transformed. Hey, what's your choice, teaching or preaching? 
The Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. But brother and sister in Christ, we preach Christ. You come to church is not for lecture. We preach Christ. You come to church, you come for an opinion. No, we preach Christ. You come to church and you look, you're looking for a lesson. No, we preach Christ. You come to church, you're looking for a devotional. No, we preach Christ. You come to church, you're looking for a motivational speech. No, we preach Christ. You come to church, you want some facts and figures, you'll get that. But I'm going to tell you with that, we preach Christ. So are we to be partial to preaching? Can you give scripture to say we're to be partial to preaching? Well, here's what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 to 3. To a young preacher who was being pulled in different directions, and the intellectuals of that day were messing with that young preacher's mind and putting peer pressure on him and societal pressure on him. And uh, the old elder people were saying, we're tired of loud preaching. We're glad the Apostle Paul is not here. We want you to resort to teaching. And word got back to the Apostle Paul as he wrote this letter to his protege in the faith, Timothy. He said, listen, I know you're a little concerned about preaching. And he told him in chapter one to strip the gift of God that was given to him by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. All that means is he was ordained to be a preacher of the gospel. And so he said, listen, I'm going to tell you something, Timothy. He said, I'm going to give you some words of advice because my head's about to go down on the chopping block here and I'm, I'm about to leave this life. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And he said, I'm ready to go home. But he said, I've got some words for you. And this is what he told Timothy. He said, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. That means be ready to preach when you're ready. Be ready to preach when you're not ready. Reprove. Rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they shall not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap themselves teachers having its ears. You know what Paul's telling us there? Preaching, not just teaching. Tom Farrell said this Preaching is not a secular discussion of human ideas, but a scripture declaration of God's truth. My friend, tonight we preach Christ. Well, as we close tonight, we see the priority of preaching. We see the partiality towards preaching. I want to leave you on an encouraging note. I want you to see the power in preaching. Amen. Paul said this, for the preaching of the cross, verse 18, is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us, that's you and me, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of of God. You know what that's saying? God blesses biblical preaching. God blesses biblical preaching. God blesses the preaching of the cross. God blesses preaching that elevates our Lord Jesus Christ. God blesses preaching the gospel. God blesses preaching Jesus Christ. Notice verses 23 to 25. Biblical preaching, and what Paul is going to say in verses 23 to 25 solves the argument, teaching or preaching. It solves the argument. It puts it to rest. And if you're dividing your mind tonight, if you're still somebody because you're, you're having grown in the faith, that you've got teacher preferences, and you've got preacher preferences, I want you to grow in the faith tonight. And understand how Paul puts to rest in verses 20 to 25, how biblical preaching covers all the bases that you're concerned about. And notice what he says here. But we preach Christ crucified 
unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, and I'm glad he said that, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Do you hear that? I started out by saying, the divisiveness about preaching were those who have intellectual learning wanted more of the so-called intellectual wisdom and said preaching possessed none of that. But Paul said when we're biblically preaching and we preach God's word and we're preaching Jesus Christ, he said in verse 24, preaching, biblical preaching, is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. And to that I say amen, Paul, because he said it right, right there. Because he said the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. I might be talking to somebody tonight, preaching to somebody tonight. You came from a church where there was no preaching. And our area here, the Bay Area, lacks gospel preaching centers. And I'm thankful tonight, right alongside of me, are men on staff who are preachers. We don't have to bat an eye or talk, get into philosophical debates or theological debates. We, we agree on Jesus. We agree on his word. And we know exactly, when we talk about preaching, we know exactly what we're talking about here. I want you to understand tonight, Jesus, biblical preaching is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You have everything you need. Listen, you want, you want to get intellectual. Listen, if, just let me give you one example. If you want to, to test the veracity that the Bible is the word of God, do a, a study on world history and correlate that the Bible, and the Bible is accurate about world history. Long before Christopher Columbus circled the world to prove that the world was not fat, flat, if you go to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40 already told, told everybody there that the word of God is round, it was circular. I mean, if they just read their Bible, they could have saved all that money for trying to figure that out. That's the problem with our world. The wisdom of this world wants to spend money and go to all this research and things. Just get in your Bible. God has already revealed to us everything we need to know for faith and for living. I want you to consider the power in preaching. Wayne McDill said this, preaching is a ministry of the spirit and the word through a yielded servant. Now what's the power behind preaching? Well, let me give you four or five things to think about tonight as we close. Number one, it is power to solace. Power to solace, power to comfort. Power to help. I try to be sensitive as I get into the different preaching times of just the needs of our membership and and if you look at our prayer page tonight, we have a lot of members and brothers and sisters who are hurting, who are burdened, who are broken. And preaching gives comfort to hurting hearts. We had some who were here Sunday that were nervous about COVID-19, worried about their jobs, worried about their family. And just reading the verse Isaiah 12, 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. That gave solace to those hearts. It has the power to solace. Preaching heals the wounds that the devil has inflicted. Are you wounded tonight? Are you hurting? Are you oozing with pain? Is pus coming out of that wound? I'm going to tell you tonight, preaching has the power to solace that wound. Secondly, it has the power to stir I'm a preacher tonight because I was raised under preachers. Preachers stir me up. Preachers stir me up. We have some great ones that preach in this church. I think of Brother Sam Davison. Lord willing, I'm praying that we'll have our fall revival. His preaching stirs me up. 
Dr. Paul Chappell's preaching stirs me up. I'm thinking about tonight, Brother Tom Farrell, his preaching stirs me up. I'm thinking about our good friend that we had just a few weeks ago, Brother J.D. Howell, and then our good friend, Brother Jeff Copes, their preaching stirs me up. Listen, it has the power to stir. Listen, it, it compels us to move by faith. It compels us to win souls. Preaching stirs us, and I pray tonight that you're stirred to do something for Jesus Christ. Listen, I want you to think about something else. It has power to solace, has power to stir. Hey, it has power to sanctify. Did you know preaching helps get somebody off the edge? It helps somebody get out of the middle? It helps somebody get out of sin? It helps somebody to forsake drinking? It helps somebody to get out of immorality? It helps somebody to get the power to overcome pornography? It helps somebody to get out of a bad relationship? It helps somebody to get out of sin? It helps somebody to get, get out of whatever the garbage they've been in and get back in the word of God? It has the power to sanctify. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God uses preaching to move us to holy living. I hope tonight you want to be more holy than you, when this message started. God uses preaching to convict us of our sin. God uses preaching to make us honest and holy, not liars and dishonest. God uses preaching to move us to forsake our sin. Hey, God uses preaching to bring about revival. That's why we have revival preachers. That's why we have men like Brother Erwin Gutierrez who's got the gift of the evangelist that then when he preaches that there's a connection there about revival and stirs us that we want to get right with God. Why is that? Because I'll tell you, God uses preaching to stir revival there. God uses preaching to heal marriages and families. Let me say this tonight. I'm not done yet. I'm almost done. Your family's hurting your marriage has some struggles and things like that. Why don't you go back to every message that's been preached over the last 10 years? And if you go back and listen to those messages which are archived there, I, I promise you tonight, the word of God through preaching will heal your marriage. It'll heal your family. God uses preaching to reveal sins of the spirit and of the flesh. It has the power to sanctify. It has the power of selection. God uses preaching to call men to preach. Is God calling you to preach, sir? Is just God calling you just to be a soul winner? God calling you to say, when this coronavirus thing settles out, I'm going to find me a city of large proportion, and if I'll have the blessing of God, the blessing of my pastor, I want to go out and start a church and preach the word of God there. Jesus, Matthew chapter 9, verses 37, 38, he preached what the, great, the greatest message ever preached for the harvest. He said, the harvest truly is plenteous, and the laborers are few. He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest and send forth laborers. I wish I had time to exegete that message, but I'm going to tell you what. He spoke to some men there, and those words took some fishermen and some tax collectors, some men from different walks of life, some who were violent by nature and anger problems and a number of other things like that. God got to hold of their heart. That night, Jesus spent that night in prayer because he saw God was working in their hearts. He spent that night in prayer. The next morning, he got, they were all up, and he was up, and he called those 12 to be his disciples. And those 12 men, 11 of them, went out and changed the world for Jesus Christ. It's the power of selection. But finally tonight, it has the power to solace. It's the power to stir. It has the power to sanctify. It has the power of selection. But it has the power to save. The power of God unto salvation when the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the centrality of preaching, two things happen. Notice verse 30. The Bible says, Of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God 
is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification, redemption. I, I don't have time to, to define all the words, but let me tell you this. Do you know what he's saying there? When Jesus Christ is preached, when Jesus Christ is preached, he is made unto us. In other words, everything we're lacking in wisdom, everything we're lacking in sanctification, those of you who need redemption, those of you who need righteousness, listen, he fills in all the gaps. He's made unto us. Listen, preaching helps us in ways that we can't even think about. Jesus Christ, when he's elevated through preaching, helps us. And then he says, he uses preaching to glorify his name. He says that according as it is written, he that glory, let him glory in the Lord. And let me say this tonight, and I'm done. This is it. Through preaching, a person who's a sinner can hear the word of God to know that they're a sinner on the way to hell, that Jesus Christ died for his sins and rose again from the dead, and that if he by faith would repent of his sins and by faith call on the name of the Lord to be saved, he can be saved today. If you're watching tonight and you're not 100% sure you're saved and going to heaven, stop fooling God, stop fooling yourself, stop fooling everybody around you, and call on the name of the Lord tonight and get saved. Here's how you can do it. I'll tell you in a moment. You can tell Jesus that you're a sinner. Confess to him that you're a sinner tonight. Tell him that you're sorry and repentant of your sins. And that tonight you believe with all your heart he died for you. He died for your sins and paid the price. He satisfied God's demands for sin by dying for you. And that he rose again from the dead and offered you the gift of eternal life. And tonight if you'll call him and say, God, I can't save myself, but I know that you can save me. He can save you tonight. And I'm going to call upon you tonight. You're not saved that right there as you're watching my live stream, you're calling the Lord to save you. Then secondly, I want to challenge every Christian there. We're not going to be able to, a lot of us are not going to be able to see each other face to face in this room, in this heritage center. And if you're kind of wishy-washy and wobbly about this matter of teaching or preaching, tonight, God uses preaching. What about preaching? God has chosen preaching. Why don't you get excited about preaching? Why don't you get excited that, about your church? And why don't you get excited about the Lord Jesus Christ? And why don't you get stirred up about preaching? May God call men to himself.